Well, since we started in September, this picture in front of you is very familiar. We have carefully considered the path, the path. And over this past fall and all the way through Advent, the goal is on the right end of the picture. That that would be our mission, to touch all people with God's message. But we find ourselves on the left side of the picture, this mission being rendered in this conversation, as I've put it, God speaking to you, saying, I love you. I've taken the first step to make things right. I want you to help me change the world, and in time, I will fix everything. The steps help us understand, the stones, actually, in these steps help us understand what's behind the message, love, forgiveness, purpose, and hope. But now as we come to this new year, it's time to consider walking the path, how to walk that path, and with whom. And the way I would like to do that initially is to walk through the Gospel of Mark. Mark was the first gospel written. It's the most concise, direct, action-oriented of all of the gospels. It's written to the Roman mind. That mind wants the facts, clarity, no nonsense, getting to the point. Never mind any history that a Jew would want. That would be Matthew. He begins with a genealogy. Or philosophy and critical thinking and order that a Greek mind would want. That would be Luke. Or reasoning and convincing in a very personal appeal to a second generation of believers wondering if they can really trust this. That would be John. If you want to know what to do, cutting to the chase, that would be Mark. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Today, I want us to have an introduction to the person of Mark. Maybe we could advance. There we go. A good way to do that is to go, as we may have noticed in the scripture reading today, the end of the story as he records it, the end of his gospel. Let's start with one strange comment in a very public document. Did you notice? Now a certain young man was following him and they grabbed him he was wearing nothing but a linen cloth and then he they must have grabbed it as he was wrestling himself away and he flew away naked garden of gethsemane all the way back to wherever he lived streaking all the way what purpose could this verse have in scripture this is an autobiographical comment Listen to some commentators. Since the earliest days of the church, commentators have supposed that this young man was Mark himself. It was his humble way of saying, I was there. Now, quickly follow me. We know from Acts chapter 12, when Peter gets miraculously uh, taken out of prison by an angel, he goes to the house of Mark, to Mark's mother's home, which is in Jerusalem, and it had a courtyard. You remember the Rhoda that came to the door because he was banging, and she hears Peter, and she's all excited, and she goes back and tells everybody, Peter's here, and they're like, you're crazy, but she forgot to open the door, and so that meant there was a courtyard. It was a significantly sized house to have a number of disciples. It was a gathering place for people, for the disciples that they knew to go to. It was a family of provenance, 
prominence, if they had a house of that size, Mark came from this home. It's even possible and probable that the Last Supper was held in this home. So then, if you consider Judas betraying Jesus, Last Supper leaves, and remember, he left before they did. So he goes and he finds the soldiers, and then he comes back, possibly, to that home to find Jesus in the betrayal and finds that they're not there. Now, a young man is asleep because it was late at night. He wasn't one of the 12. He hears the guards. He quickly throws some clothes on and runs to the Garden of Gethsemane to warn Jesus of what would happen. And so Spurgeon supposes this story in his own words. Spurgeon writes as if, as if Mark is speaking. I too, in my mad harebrained folly, would have run unclothed as I was upon the, upon the guard to rescue my Lord and Master. Yet, at the first sight of the rough legionaries, at the first gleam of their swords, away I fled, timid, faint-hearted, and afraid that I should be too roughly handled. I don't know if it happened exactly that way, but I do believe that this is Mark speaking of himself saying in this very humble way, I was there. Now what purpose would a comment like that have? Think of the honesty. Think of the transparency. Think of the willing, self-effacing character of this person. Life's most embarrassing moment written by himself in a gospel that would be read for thousands of years. We talk about having friends with whom we can have that kind of honesty and transparency. Mark raises the bar. If we are really performing to an audience of one, why hide anything? Let's live like what matters is really being real and open and true. Our weaknesses and our failures only make more of the one that we serve letting others see us as he does because he cares for us. I think you learned something about that last week, didn't you? Seeing Pastor Sean the way God sees Pastor Sean. This is also, interestingly, an argument for the God-breathed inspiration of Scripture. Recently, I was watching an interesting video. Uh, I got a Uh, an email from uh, the Evangelical Free Church of America that was an article about one of our pastors along with some others in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas happened to be holding the Atheists uh, Annual Conference, Atheists of America Annual Conference. And these pastors, five of them, four of them, decided to invite the panelists for that conference to just get together and have a little panel of their own. They didn't want to debate. They didn't want to fight. They just wanted to sit down and have a conversation. And so they did, and it was fascinating to watch this. The demeanor of these pastors, not antagonistic or inciting, but simply wanting to understand, care, and show their interest in these atheist. Fascinating conversation, number of things in there. If you're interested, I can give you the website. You can go and watch it. But the one point I wanted to bring out was, of course, the we, pastors, were accused of placing our faith in, in, in the scriptures and our trustworthiness, uh, our trustworthy um, 
considering it trustworthy and placing our faith in what that says to us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the authors uh, there said, or one of the speakers said, the authors of history always write a victor's book because they were quoting some of the history and so on and credibility and veracity that uh, archaeology and so on have confirmed Scripture as being true. And he said, well, that's because history is a victor's book. Whoever gets to write history is the one that's in power, and he always writes it in a way that works for him. So that's how that is able to work. But Scripture does not portray man as a victor. Look at the humanity. Not only the fault and the failing, but the actual intention of this gospel writer to express that failing and that weakness so that God's greater glory might be seen. This isn't man's invention. If it were, man would be the hero. But he's not. He's the weak and failing sinner who needs a savior. Scripture records God as the victor. So let's just be honest with ourselves. What do we have to prove and to hide and to lose? If you were writing a gospel, would you include your most embarrassing moment? One strange comment is only in a world of self-defenders and self-promoters, in a world where survival of the fittest and self-seeking and self-realization are the goal. And this is, at best, the norm, or at worst, an addiction that we are all meant to have. It's about me. But what if we lived with a different view and a different definition of purpose and fulfillment and meaning in life? What if we were known for the things that we said that made much of our God and little of ourselves. What if we were more like Mark? A little or a lot less like our very natural tendencies to self-everything, promotion, defending, aggrandizement. As a friend of mine says, well, there's no future in that. Well, perhaps there is one more observation. Not only is there one strange comment, there is one accomplished man in a life of public mistakes. So we've seen the embarrassment of Mark chapter 14. Acts chapter 12 told us that he came from this prominent family. He should have been an up-and-coming disciple. Any other embarrassment would have been even more shame on the family. And so we get to Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter 13, and he gets to be one of the cohorts of Paul and Barnabas as they head off on their first missionary journey. And here we go again. They go to Cyprus, then they sail from Cyprus. They end up in Pamphylia. And it says, he went home. He went back to Jerusalem. He went back to mommy. Ouch. And in Acts chapter 15, when they're headed for another missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take him along because this is his dear little cousin and he still believes in him. And Saul says, Paul says, you've got to be kidding. And they have this big deal. And once again, he's embarrassed. He's a young, immature, less than perfect Christ follower. 
But by the time we get to Colossians chapter 4, things are different. He's being talked about all right, but he's being talked about in very positive ways. Paul says to him, you've heard about him. Welcome him. Recommended by Paul. And then 2 Timothy chapter 4 is remarkable. Get Mark and bring him. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I mean in 2 Timothy, Paul is in a hole in the ground under the streets of Rome, and he's going to die. These are his last written words. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me. Now, he had had no use for him, and now he wants him. And not because he couldn't get anybody else. The passage tells us that Luke was already there, and that Timothy was going to be coming, and he still wants Mark. Mark has not quit in spite of of all of the bumps along the way. In fact, he's the writer of a gospel. He's a writer of the first gospel. He's a friend of Peter's. Peter didn't get to write a gospel. Mark wrote the gospel, probably as a disciple of Peter's. And we're going to see more of that. Peter got to write some letters, but Mark got to write the gospel. Mark continues to journey into becoming a great servant. He walked the path and he didn't quit. Why didn't he quit? Could it be because he found a God who loved him? A God who forgave him? A God who gave him purpose? And a God who offered him hope? A God who became flesh and walked along the path with him. Simply, intentionally, patiently. So let's apply all of this. Where are you? How honest and transparent and willingly self-effacing are you? How deeply do we drink of what our society tells us we must do in defending ourselves, in promoting ourselves, in making much of us? Would you willingly share your most embarrassing moment for all to read, to see, and to know? If that meant making much of him and little of us. As a follower of Christ, are you in this for the long haul? Have you made a bunch of mistakes and you don't think you can go any farther? (laughs) Seriously, anything less isn't discipleship at all, is it? When eternity is what it's all about, the long haul is what it is all about. Are you continuous and committed and failing, but you are tenacious because you are not going to quit? And what's in your future? How many times have you messed up? Who cares? On the contrary. Who could you be another good mess up to learn from for another? So what's next? What kind of continuous activity are you committed to that continues to shape what people know of the one you are following and not about you? 
Reputations change as lives are transformed, and you cannot do that. But God can, and he does. And does he ever? Let's become more like Mark. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that we don't write this story. We're not the heroes. But you are in the habit of making so much of such little ones like us. Oh, the wonder that you love us, that you forgive us, that you give us purpose and continue to offer hope. Thank you for the hope in such a human example like Mark, who so embarrassingly shamed his family time and time again in his failures but never quit oh as we enter into walking this path with each other help us to be people who make much of you and little of us more quick to speak of your wonder and slow to speak of who we are. May you be glorified in broken human beings filled with your spirit, empowered with your purpose for us, living in the light of all the hope that you have for those who pursue you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.